Hello, my name is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege, as always, each and every week, to share with you the Speaking for Him podcast. And the goal of the Speaking for Him podcast is to come alongside you on life's journey and give you some encouragement along the way, because as we all know, this journey is not a sprint, but is a marathon. And one of the things that I really like to do on this show is to share with you movie reviews, especially when Christian filmmakers are setting out to make a difference in the entertainment space. And as I've delineated on this podcast before, one of the reasons why this is so important is because so many people live in the entertainment space, meaning they spend time at the movies, they spend time watching television, so it's good to have content out there that is glorifying God and trying to reach them with the gospel. And this particular project that I'm going to talk about today, The Thorn, which was released for a two-day release, I guess, on March 6th and 7th, if I am not mistaken, uh, it is a very unique project. And I think actually the story of how it came to be a theatrical release is almost as intriguing as the project itself. And I'm excited to dig into that with you a little bit more. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, the first story that caught my attention to share with you this week has to do with Colin Kaepernick, former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, let's be candid. If Kaepernick's message in his new graphic novel was about how much he loved America, how blessed he was to have such selfless adoptive parents, you know, he wouldn't be rich and he wouldn't have his own publishing company or a Netflix deal. And that's the angle. Joining me now is Florida Congressman Byron Donalds and Horace Cooper, co-chair of Project 21. Congressman, Again, you know, Kaepernick is just the vessel, the most recent vessel for the left's, you know, poisonous hatred uh, that they're pouring into this country. But when adoptive parents of a minority child get hit across the face, um, again, we don't know what happened in his household. Um, you kind of you kind of see where this has all taken us. I mean, look, Laura, first things first. I mean, his parents decided to adopt him. Uh, out of the goodness of their heart, they raised him. Um, part of his success being an NFL quarterback is part of, of what they did, instilling and nurturing in him and his life. I just couldn't imagine, you know, doing that to somebody who raised you. You know, I think about my mom. Like, you know, my mom said a lot of tough things to me growing up about how I'm supposed to comport myself and carry myself uh, as an individual uh, in America. And so to write a book about that, I, I just I just couldn't get there. And so that's the thing that's problematic about this, because they decided to make a decision for themselves to care for him. And so in my view, to not honor them, I just think is wrong. Yeah, it's, a, it's an anecdote and a graphic novel about his life. But Horace, the point is um, the, the theme that America is racist sells in publishing companies, including Kaepernick's own publishing company. But it sells. And by the way, he used the another interview yesterday to display his utter contempt for the white culture. Watch. To really take hold of my blackness and do it in a way that I was proud of and I was excited about. And the difficulty with that is being in white culture. So it's trying to navigate that while having a white family and being in a predominantly white community and trying to find ways to make sure that my identity and my blackness isn't stripped from me. Horace, a lot of navel gazing going on here. Um, what do you make of all of this? Uh, it just tells me um, racism is so awful in America that Colin Kaepernick's little coloring book is likely going to be a bestseller because everybody is on the racism train. You know, I look at this story of his life. And what I see is a life that many millions of Americans would be grateful for, would find it 
a amazing story of the possibilities of what makes America. Here's a man who is living a life where parents do the very kinds of things that they do Every single day, we call these loving parents to make it possible for you to be a success. If my mother and father and my grandmother hadn't intervened to influence me, which, by the way, Colin Kaepernick would probably call them racist, too, even though they're all black, (laughs) I wouldn't be sitting right here today. First of all, let me say that I used to have a great deal of respect for Colin Kaepernick. I heard about his story years ago when he was first on the San Francisco 49ers, and I'm pretty sure that he identified himself as a, an evangelical Christian. I'm pretty sure that I had read his story in one of my Christian sports publications. I'm not sure if it was Sports Spectrum. I think maybe it was, and I had a great deal of respect for him. And, of course, hearing that he was raised um in a white middle to upper class family, I was just grateful that he had the opportunity to have that support. And I really uh, wanted for him to have success. Um, I was, I was a fan of his, but then as time has gone on, I don't know who got into his ear, but it was almost like we need a spokesman for the campaign that, Blackness means oppression and that white people are the oppressors and someone prevailed upon Colin to take that view. Um, there was even something else I was watching where they talked about how his posts used to be pro-America. They used to be positive and now they're almost a hundred percent of the time negative and attention seeking. So, I pray for Colin as a person. I believe that he was created in the image of God. I believe that God had a plan for him, and so he deserves our prayers, not just straight ridicule. But I just have to say, as I've said many times before, with all of the opportunities that he has had to succeed, I feel like his focus should be, I have succeeded. This is how you need to succeed. Instead of making everything about race and claiming that his parents are racist for him not being able to embrace his black culture. If your parents care about how you look when you leave the house, that should not be construed as a negative, which leads me to say I'm thankful for parents that didn't allow me to indulge all of my crazy ideas. Now, granted, I didn't have a ton of crazy ideas, but I know that my parents were very uh, clear about how they expected us to dress and comport ourselves, as that the man in that story had said, that we are representatives of Jesus when we leave the house and representatives of our family, and that it was very important to our parents that we put forth a good representation of both of those things. And so I think that it is a good thing uh, for his parents to want him to conduct himself accordingly. And they gave him a lot when they chose to adopt him. And so it just doesn't seem fair for him to now be blasting them for not allowing him to be black enough. I have one more clip from this interview because I think it speaks to a lot of what we have going on in our culture today. You know, Congressman Dodds, you think of what's happened to our inner cities, especially our schools, at the hands of the party that Kaepernick is most closely aligned to, obviously the left, the Democrats. That's the real carnage in America. I mean, he grew up in a privileged community. You know, good for him. Parents, I I don't know them, but gosh, he seemed like he was very appreciative of them for most of his career. But he has to sell a book and a comic book and a Netflix special. And suddenly, you know, they might as well be wearing, you know, you know, white hoods. Uh, but, you know, what do you, what do you make of this obsession with victimology and selling victimology to young people? Is it not a, a very cynical view of this country? 
Uh, it absolutely is. But real quick, Laura, I'm coming back to one thing. I remember my own mother talking about uh, different hairdos and hairstyles, cornrows and the like. And she was like, no, you, you can't do that. This is the way you're going to carry yourself. That's how you're going to do your hair and all that stuff. It's going to be nice. It's going to be cut nice. And that's what you're going to do. Now, to the victimology f- from the left, this is one of the things that's a real cancer in our country. Because the ills of our past are what they are. The civil rights movement is the thing that everybody should study, all the fights, all the struggles. But to try to weaponize that into the minds of young black kids today who were in a far better position than any era of black individuals in the history of our country is outrageous. And it, it is a defeating proposition for these young people because it doesn't help them understand to fully take into account their own agency with all the opportunities they have in America today. I think it's destructive of the country. Now, and I know I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. This is a representation of the soft bigotry of low expectations. I've heard so many stories about lowering standards for people because they are black, because they are people of color, that they can't reach to the standards that other people are able to because of who they are. But any institution that has a black and white academic standard, for instance, should not lower their standard for a specific student group. Because if I am going to someone who has a particular advanced degree or skill set, I want to know that they have everything that that degree or skill set represents, specifically in reference to things like law degrees. I know there was a story a while back about the University of Michigan Law School wanting to lower their standards for students of color. And we have this whole affirmative action mindset that says we need to have a certain number of people of color in each profession or in each part of our workplace environment instead of saying the best person for the job should get the job. Now, listen. As a disabled person, I know that I want the same opportunities as someone else. And I also know that I have been discriminated against. But the last thing I want is to have a job that somebody else should have had, but that I was given because I was disabled and it would look good to the company for having hired me. And that's really what we do when we talk about how we need to lower the standard to give more opportunities to minority groups or whatever group that you think is marginalized instead of raising the standards of the individual and saying, I know you can do better. Let me train you to do better. This is what we need to do. We need to look for more opportunities to train them to be better instead of lowering the standard so that they can grab it. Incidentally, It applies spiritually. Jesus didn't lower the standards for heaven. He came and fulfilled the perfect standards required for heaven so that he could bring us up to him. If he had lowered the standards for heaven, heaven wouldn't be heaven. Heaven requires perfection. It cannot tolerate sin. So that meant that Jesus had to come and become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. If the standards of heaven had been lowered, then we wouldn't want to go there. But because the standards stayed high, and Jesus came and fulfilled the law on our behalf, we can know that we have the best heaven possible, because it is inhabited by the righteousness of Jesus, which he shares with us. Such a very important thing to know today. The next thing I want to talk about is Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda was on The View this past week, and she said something very provocative when she was asked, what should we do in the wake of the overturn of Roe versus Wade? On to another story. Uh, Here she is again, Hanoi Jane Hilton. Uh, First, she was for uh, our opponents in the Vietnam War, and now she believes, she suggests that it's okay to murder pro-life advocates. She was on The View yesterday. Here's what Hanoi Jane said. 
Besides, besides marching and, and protesting, what else do you suggest? Well, well, it doesn't happen murder. overnight. It's not a miraculous. <laughs> what did you say? Murder. <laughs> She's kidding. Wait a second. She's just now, kidding. Don't say that. She, they tried to cover for her. That is. Uh, Go ahead, Will. I guess they they kind of did, Pete. They did. They But they also laughed along. I don't know if that's an awkward laugh at the horrendousness of what she had to suggest. I mean, I, I don't. She sort of hit terminal velocity. There's nothing worse you can say, right? Like, you, you know, I know that in modern America, like, the, 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 the most grievous of sin is to accuse someone of racism, right? How about murder? <laughs> she just suggested for her political opponents murder. I mean, it's hard to get any worse. And now, uh, she did give a statement, by the way, to Fox News Digital. She said, well, women's reproductive rights are a very serious issue. And extremely important to me, my comment on The View was obviously made in jest. My body language and tone made it clear to those in the room. I don't think so, actually. And to anyone watching, that I was using hyperbole to make a point. No, no, I don't think that was clear, Rachel. No. You know, when I first heard this clip, it was sent to me yesterday uh, by my sister, and I listened to it. And the first thing I thought is, don't we have enough murder in this issue? I mean, isn't that what we're actually really talking about? The irony that she would use the word murder... Um, when we're talking about the murdering of little babies, millions, um, tens of millions, and uh, across the globe. So, no, she she doesn't. And also, by the way, let's not forget, we have at this moment, uh, you know, domestic terrorist pro-choice groups, pro-abortion groups, uh, firebombing, uh, pregnancy crisis centers that are, you know, offering free diapers and, you know, formula and clothes to women who choose to have their babies. And so um, th- this it is really unfortunate, but it actually speaks to that to that movement. We talked about the zealots, the climate zealots. There are zealots in this movement, too, and they are definitely on the pro-abortion side. This yeah. is their religion. Um, this is their altar. And um, sadly, it's children that yeah. are sacrificed on Some- Okay, so just a couple things on this story. First of all, Jane Fonda is known for her extreme views, so in a in a sense this is to be expected but one of the interesting things i i think that didn't come out well in this particular piece that i just played was the fact that if you watch the original segment from the view as it first started to pop up on social media you will see her say that you will see joy behar trying to cover for her and say that she's kidding and she sits there stone-faced and does not retractor statement does not even attempt to walk it back and only does in the days following because of the blowback. I think it's so hilarious in a very sad way that these people that claim to be tolerant are often the least tolerant of all. These people that claim to be against violence and claim to say that conservatives are violent. They're the ones who want violence. These people that claim to be pro-choice do not want women to be able to choose life. Elizabeth Warren wanted legislation that would, in effect, shut down the many pro-life crisis pregnancy centers across America, saying that they are dangerous for women. Why would it be dangerous for a woman to go through the natural process of childbirth? That's far less dangerous than having your baby ripped out of your body. I'm sorry, folks. That doesn't make any sense. And again, as I said, if you find the original clip on The View, there was the opportunity to walk this back, and it was not taken, which leads me to believe that the walking back was more about saving face and less about actually being sorry. So again, Jane Fonda is someone that I pray for. I believe that God loves her. And I want the best for her, but I think it's very sad that she thinks that this is a good response to the fall of Roe versus Wade, which actually has saved so many lives. Now it's time to dig into our main segment, which is a review of The Thorn, which is a, was a recent uh, 
Fathom Events theatrical event that took place March 6th and 7th at Cinemas Nationwide. And this is actually a retelling of the story of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, through drama and dance and narration. And I just think it's very moving. I I was actually really uh, profoundly surprised at how much this film actually ended up meaning to me and how much it moved me. And I'm really excited to talk to you about that. Um, But first, I want to share with you a little bit of background on this wonderful project. This is the story of The Thorn, a theatrical production over 25 years in the making, a show that has toured across the country for over a decade, and its historic run was made possible by well over 10,000 actors, acrobats, and volunteers. I want to say that number one more time just to let it sink in. 10,000 people who believe in telling the story of Jesus. But it started with just some young youth pastors trying to find a way to help students understand the power of the gospel. About 20 years ago, I was working as a brand new youth pastor, and I was sitting on the edge of the stage one Wednesday night, and this 16-year-old girl came and sat next to me. This is after service, and she holds out her arms, and I could see she's, she's crying, and I could see where she'd been cutting up and down her arms. And I looked at her, and I said, you don't have to do that because Jesus did that for you. And so I thought, next Wednesday night, I want to do an illustrated sermon, and I want to show two things. I want to show, first of all, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And the second thing I wanted to show was the spiritual battle for the hearts, minds, calling, and destiny of young people. I really think teenagers and college students have a very in-touch feel with the supernatural, like adults sometimes grow away from. It offers to teenagers and college students an acknowledgement of there's more to it than just what you're dealing with. And so kids that are dealing with like suicidal tendencies or depression or drug abuse, like there's a darkness that's sort of tangible or present there. And we wanted to show that in a way. On Halloween night, the first show of The Thorn premiered in Colorado Springs. The show took place in the youth room with a couple of hundred teenagers and a brick wall as its backdrop. The youth pastor that was that was before me had done an illustrated sermon called The Whip, Hammer, and Cross. And so I thought, well, what's left? The crown of thorns. So I called it the thorn and went up on the stage and introduced this illustrated sermon. And the very first thorn performance was horrible. The music was bad. The makeup was bad. The costumes were bad. And for you that were in that performance, you were amazing. But it was not great. They wouldn't let us move the grand piano. So that night, Jesus rose from under the grand piano. So in so many ways, the first Thorn show ever was horrible. But I think the Holy Spirit, like, had a thumbprint on it. Over the next few years, the show grew quickly. It moved out of a youth auditorium and into a 3,000-seat sanctuary. The crowds grew just as quickly. I think people had never seen the kind of things we were putting on stage before. I think there was a, there was just a groundswell of interest and expectation of what these crazy youth ministry people were doing to communicate the gospel. What I found with the thorn is if one person on stage was doing something, it was not very entertaining. You have one volunteer and it looks like you have an usher in a bathrobe, but you get 500 people on stage doing something and it's epic. And all of a sudden, you have these sweeping scenes. And this was a story that was resonating with people. And I don't know that any of us knew exactly why, except they were coming. So that is the beginnings of The Thorn. And I just really think it was interesting to hear that history, that there was a heart behind it of these youth pastors that wanted to minister the truth of the gospel to their young people. And specifically speaking into that girl's heart, who had that cutting issue and realizing, hey, you don't have to do that. You were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. Before we go further, I want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Galatians chapter 4, 
It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And that is Galatians 4, 4 to 7. And I thought it was fitting for this broadcast because we're talking about this theatrical presentation called The Thorn. And I have to admit, when I saw the trailer in theaters, at first I didn't think I was going to like it uh, because it seemed to emphasize dancing. Um, but there's actually a lot more than just dancing in this presentation. And the dancing actually does add a really nice element to the story. And I would like to get more into what I thought about this presentation and some exciting news regarding it. But before I do that, let me share with you just one more clip about how this film came to be. I portray the role of Satan, um, and so I'm playing the enemy of God, um, which can be tough from time to time as a believer. But, you know, the importance of having light and dark, good and evil, is so important. It's a story as old as time, and this is that story. So God is the center uh, with the thorn. So we all have him as our number one focus, and we're all using our craft to perform for his glories. It's unlike any other contract that I've ever done. Portraying Jesus in the thorn is Act one is a joy. The hardest part is standing in the makeup room for two and a half hours, getting slathered on with your arms like this, which is excruciating, and then ripping it off, blow dry the hair, makeup, costume, clean clothes, make sure the blood's all gone to be prepared for the, the resurrection. I think more than anything, people walk into the thorn, and when they walk into it for the first time, they're surprised. Over and over and over again, we've heard people talk about how visceral and how surprising and how emotional this representation of it is. So, it was working. This youth group's passion play had now become a theatrical phenomenon. The story had grown and evolved, but the heart behind it stayed the same. In 2020, the show was ready to take another step. So the 2020 Thorn season, I remember bringing these performers in from all over the place. We had them literally from all over the world that came to Colorado Springs to rehearse for two weeks. And I watched these performers rehearse and I thought to myself, this is going to be the greatest Thorn season we've ever had. The tour launched in March of 2020. Now, you need to understand, when you're traveling with a show, the outside world shuts down. It's early morning calls and late night rehearsals. But this was different. This was a problem too big for anyone to ignore. In spring of 2020, COVID snuck up on us, sort of like it snuck up on everybody. People were starting to get nervous and emailing in like, we're not sure if we should come. On Friday morning, the stats came in, the announcement came in from the governor of, of Colorado. We knew what the numbers were and it was suddenly unsafe to continue. I don't know that I was yet thinking about what does this mean for Thorn at all. I think I just was concerned about our team getting home safely. We were afraid that, you know, there wouldn't be resources to tell the story anymore. We were afraid that the community wouldn't want to show up. We were afraid that people would be too afraid to ever get out in public again. We really thought that the Thorn was dying. And so that was, yeah, I mean, all the emotions of fear and incredible sadness and loss. The Thorn went dark for nearly two years. And then a moment of inspiration. What if we could film the show? What if we could create an immersive movie theater experience for audiences? It's interesting because Fathom was excited about the idea of of the thorn on film. And we were like, yeah, that sounds great. There's two thorn on film. Remember, I actually did call up uh, our, our two directors and they were both like, that's cool. What does that mean? Like, what do we do? And we began to talk about what could that mean? I didn't know what to think. Because as anyone who's ever tried to capture a live stage performance knows, what happens in a room in front of a live audience is incredibly hard to bottle and then put on screen. So this theatrical presentation that I'm reviewing for you today was born out of 
the stage presentation being shut down for the pandemic. And I really like that story because so much of what I am experiencing now with the podcast was made possible in an indirect way by the pandemic. Uh, because for those who may not know, before the pandemic, I spent seven and a half years approximately doing my podcast from the radio studios of Joy 99, uh, WJQ in Zeeland, Michigan. And I loved the fact that I was one of the few podcasters I I knew who actually got to use professional grade radio equipment, work with a co-host who executive produced my show, did editing when I needed it. It was just a great setup for me. And God provided not one, but three people to do that. But then when the pandemic happened, I was able through a lot of hard work and perseverance to learn to edit my own audio and to procure podcasting equipment, which allowed me to bring the podcast home permanently. And it's been such a blessing to have full control over my podcast and to be able to, in some ways, I think, make it even more than it was before in a way that I never thought possible. So all that to say, I really appreciated the fact that for the makers of this film, The Thorn, it was a very similar experience where it goes dark, you think it's going to end, this whole decade of progress and hard work, and then God moves them to prepare it to be a theatrical experience. And it just came out about a week ago as a two-day theatrical event. So I had the privilege of getting a screener for this film, which means I was sent a copy of it to watch, and now I'm able to review it for you. And the exciting thing for me about that is I can release this review to you because it has been in theaters, but I can also tell you that after listening to this review, if you want to see this powerful film, you can go to thethorn.com and sign up for a virtual showing of the film, and you will be able to rent it via virtual cinema to your own living room starting March 27th and continuing through the month of April. And once you rent it, you will have 48 hours to watch it with your family. Uh, so I'm excited to be able to direct you to thethorn.com and encourage you to watch this film with your family because it really is a powerful piece of theater. And it, like I said, it incorporates drama, dancing, music, and just it's very well done. So to give you a bit of a review of this presentation they actually start with the creation of the world. It's depicted through dance. And then you go to Adam and Eve. You see them get kicked out of the garden. You see Moses leading the people of Israel and encouraging them to follow God. And you you see these Old Testament events unfold before you and you realize that the world is not perfect and that there is a remedy needed. And then you see Jesus coming on the scene, you see snapshots from his ministry, and it's just really neat to see that come together. And all this is told to a slave boy named Asher, who happens to be on the Isle of Patmos at the same time that the Apostle John is. And of course, we know that the Apostle John wrote the Gospel according to John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And so John is telling Asher the story of the gospel uh, and how much God loves him. And then John actually sacrifices himself and takes the blame for something that Asher did so that Asher can finish reading John's writings and understand the true power of redemption. And I just feel like this is a very... Well done film. I think the kid that played Asher was excellent. And I don't know where they got him, but he was spot on. I really liked the John character. 
Uh, you heard some interviews in that last clip I played from the man that played Satan and from the man that played Jesus particularly, as well as one of the dancers. And I just think God brought the right people at the right time for this film project. And I love the fact that instead of just impacting hundreds of people through stage productions, they're impacting thousands of people through being able to reach them in theaters and then through virtual cinema in their living rooms. So I really appreciate that. I thought that the Jesus was very genuine. Uh, There were a lot of scenes of his miracles that really moved me. Um, There was a healing of a lame man. There was a little girl brought back to life. And you can really feel the full range of emotion. These people desperately coming to Jesus for help. He heals them and then seeing the joy on their faces as they are healed. And so I just thought it was very well done. And the second part of the film, you see Jesus going to the cross. And one of the things that I find really interesting about this film is the character of Satan uh, is depicted as ever-present during that Good Friday, during the weekend that all this is taking place. And, And you can see him personified and being so glad that all of this calamity is overtaking the Son of God, not realizing that Jesus won the ultimate victory. And it's very moving watching Jesus be whipped and then nailed to a cross and then taken off the cross and put in the tomb. And you see all these people who Jesus has affected in his ministry, at least as depicted in the play, uh, seeing him going to the cross and trying to absorb uh, what he has actually done for them on the cross. Uh, Because one of the interesting things about the Gospels is that Jesus healed people. I believe that he had a heart to heal people and that he was glad to heal them. But his purpose in bringing healing of a physical nature was always to point to the spiritual need for healing uh, that we all need. Because apart from God, we are dead in trespasses and sins. It's not that we're almost good enough. It's not that we're pretty good and we just need Jesus to top it off. No, we're dead. And he literally breathes life into our spirits. And so I really liked that depiction. And then... At the end of the film, after Asher reads the rest of the story, uh, the end of John's gospel talking about the resurrection, you see him walking along a beach, and he has this collar that he's been wearing that represents the fact that he is a slave. I think it might even represent the fact that he mentioned earlier in the film that he was a thief, and he takes it off, and he runs along the beach, and you can just feel the freedom that he now experiences. And that is very much the freedom that you and I can experience in Jesus Christ. And again, I just think this was a very well-done presentation. Um, I really appreciated hearing from the people that put this together about their heart for the gospel and their desire to see the thorn reaching more and more people. And then how fathom events was able to come alongside them and make this theatrical presentation happen. And I'm excited that people are going to be able to rent it and watch it from their homes. And so I would encourage you to go to the thorn.com sign up for the opportunity to see this film you won't forget it, um, and you will really enjoy it. It will be impactful to you. Uh, you know, as I said, I was kind of put off when I saw the initial trailer uh, because I didn't think it was going to be applicable to me 
as someone that doesn't really like ballet or other dancing, but there's so much more to it than that. So please don't be dissuaded if you look at the trailer and you see the dancing and you're like, that doesn't seem like my cup of tea. It's there, but it's only a part of what happens. Um, Another powerful scene, while I'm thinking about it, that I really enjoyed was the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus shows her love and sends her on her way to go and sin no more. Now, the interesting thing to me is that there wasn't any dialogue from anybody really but John and Asher and Satan, I think. The rest of it was just depicted and John would mention certain things in his narrative. There was humor in some of what John said, and I know some people may have mixed feelings about infusing biblical characters with humor, but given the fact that we are human, I kind of like to see that uh, in certain contexts. I will say that the the second half of this film because it does depict Jesus being beaten for us, but also the spiritual warfare that is obviously going on um, with Judas and with Jesus and Satan. Uh, Those are very artfully depicted, but they may be too intense of depictions for younger viewers. So just something to keep in mind. I think this would be a good presentation for probably kids 14 or 15 and above. And I think it's great that it is coming out this Easter season for people to enjoy. And, you know, I think it's really neat how virtual cinema has come out of the pandemic because how great is it that you don't have to go to the movie theater to enjoy this powerful show. I think it's really awesome. And some people may balk and say, well, I don't want to pay $20 to see this film. But let's walk through the math a little bit. Because if you go to the theaters to see this film, you're going to pay upwards of 9 or $10 on the cheap side for seats. Then if you get your popcorn and your soda and perhaps other food at the theater, you could easily be looking at, you know, 30 to $50 a person. And then you sit down and watch the movie and then you leave the movie and that's it. Whereas if you get this on virtual cinema, you can invite people to watch it with you in your living room for $20. The people in your living room can watch this film and it costs money to make good films. So I really do believe that we need to invest money in quality entertainment when we can. And when we do that, we are telling the studios, the film studios that we want this to be done. You know, I don't think that fathom is a Christian company. But when they look at entities like The Chosen or The Thorn and they see these companies putting out entertainment that people want to see and that they fill auditoriums with, then they're going to want to partner more because they're going to want to partner with projects that sell. And if the thing that sells happens to be something that glorifies the Lord Jesus... How great is that? So I want to encourage you, if you're thinking negatively about the prospect of maybe paying $20 to watch this film, think about it in that context. And just think about the fact that when you are supporting a filmmaker's project, you're encouraging them to think of new projects with which to bless the body of Christ and those who don't yet believe. It's such a great thing, I think, because Jesus was a storyteller. Um, He obviously didn't have 
the ability to do multimedia presentations. But I think that as media changes, it gives us greater and greater opportunities to get the word out. When I was growing up, I always wanted to be in Christian radio. I still kind of have that in the back of my mind as a goal. But what I've discovered is that it's easier than ever to get your message out. Because I can do this podcast and release it each week and people all around the world can listen to it. I've got listeners in Spain. I've got listeners in the United Kingdom. I have one listener that's been very gracious to reach out to me from Australia. And plenty of listeners right here in the great uh, United States. And so it's just been so great to realize that my little podcast can go all over the world and anybody can listen to it. And local radio can do that now too with apps. But but back in the day, local radio was just local radio. So it was restricted to however long uh, that you could listen to it. And if you were on a road trip, you always had to find secondary and third dairy. I know that's not a word, but a third choice for what you were going to listen to on the radio uh, because especially if you were going out of state or a long ways away in the state in which you reside, the radio signals would only reach so far. And so now with podcasting, you can be anywhere you are, and as long as it's downloaded onto your device, you can listen to it. And I also like the fact that you can listen on demand. I don't know when you're listening to this show. Maybe you're listening to it in the morning as you're going to work. Maybe you're listening to it in the evening as you're leaving work. Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and you needed something encouraging to listen to, so you turned on the Speaking for Him podcast. I don't know. But through the beauty of podcasting, it can be available to you 24-7, 365 days a year. And to me, that is extremely exciting. And I never would have thought it 10, 20 years ago when I first got a passion for broadcasting. So... I'm just saying I know that God can use many different mediums for his glory. And I'm excited to see what he does through this Thorn theatrical presentation. And I've heard that they're gearing up for another national tour of the Thorn. So if you like the movie and you want to see it in person, you can look up information about that too. On thethorn.com, which I will place on my blog, there is also information to pre-order the DVD and I believe Blu-ray of this presentation as well. So there's a lot of things that you can avail yourself of if you go to that website. So what is my rating for this film? I would say that my rating for this film is a very solid Four out of five. The style still isn't typically something that I would enjoy, but the, the content was awesome. Uh, the depictions of the story and ministry of Jesus were awesome. The depictions of his fight for us were awesome. Uh, as I said, I liked the fact that they not only dealt with the surface level of him being beaten for us, but him literally basically battling Satan uh, throughout the second half of this show, I felt was very powerful uh, because I often think about the fact that we can talk about his physical uh, sacrifice, but it's really hard for us to comprehend the spiritual sacrifice. And I know that even a stage play can only go so far, but I commend them for the way that they artistically showed this and I'll be praying for them that they will, Lord willing, be minded to put out more content. Because we need people to continue to pour into the entertainment sphere and not be afraid to share their faith. So that's about all I have time for today. I would just encourage you, if you enjoyed this review, uh, take the opportunity to sign up for a showing uh, for the virtual cinema coming March 27th through April 30th. 
Uh, if you like it, maybe choose more than one and support them even further. Uh, reserve your copy, like I said, of the DVD and Blu-ray and just find someone who maybe isn't yet a follower of Jesus to share this with because I think that it, it has a lot of elements to draw people in from a dramatic standpoint and then hopefully hit them with the simplicity of the gospel message. And if nothing else, it's a discussion starter. So often people say, well, how do I talk to people about my faith? And I, I, I've heard somebody be cynical about that and say, if you're a believer for any length of time, you should know how to talk to people about their your faith because it's important to you. So you tell them about what Jesus did for you and, and you unfold the story of salvation as it is in the scriptures. But sometimes when people say, how do I do this? They're not saying that they don't know how to do it at all. They're just saying, what's the springboard? How do I start the conversation? And so what I like about projects like this is that it is that springboard. You can show the thorn to someone that appreciates good theater. And then you can say, well, what did you think about that? And then maybe that can lead to a discussion of what are the ramifications if the story that you just saw is real, if the resurrection actually happened, if Jesus is coming back again someday soon. So a lot to think about and consider on this week's episode. If you appreciated it, if you have any feedback, positive or negative, as long as it's given in in a friendly way, or if you have any input on what you would like to hear on a future episode, please don't forget to reach out uh, with the contact information that's about to roll. And above all, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.